We're going to the border, all right. In pieces. This is emergency. Nothing. I think we're out of fluid, Mac. Whether it's the Cold War, the war on drugs, troubled inner-city teens, a college hockey star pressured by big league agents, or the case of the counterfeit baseball cards, he's always on the right side. What are you talking about? There's gotta be a way to stop this thing. Without brakes? Oh, oh yeah. With brakes. And if he doesn't hack his way out of a sticky situation with paper clips, gum, and his trusty Swiss army knife, you can be sure he'll win the day with a heartfelt speech. Sure that'll work? No. It's TV's MacGyver, up next on Inside the Box. Back, my boy. I think you did it. We got brakes. <laughs> the following program is brought to you in living color. As early as 1923, David Sarnoff recognized the possibility of developing a television system. This is the dimension of imagination. Oh, yeah! Now I remember! It's Inside the Box, the TV history podcast. Ding dong. I was feeling kind of lonely without Selma. Mind if I watch TV with you? Oh, go ahead, Patty. Tonight on MacGyver, 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 MacGyver. Aunt Selma has one hour to live. Hey, down in front. Hello out there in podcast land and welcome to another episode of Inside the Box. I'm Andrew Salvati and I'm here today with Steve Voorhees. How you doing, Steve? Good, Andrew. How you doing? Great. And Jonathan Bollinger, how you doing? I feel ready because I brought a paperclip. <laughs> okay, well today, uh, as, as Jonathan uh, alludes to, we're going to be talking about, uh, very briefly talking about, the TV series MacGyver. Now that's the original ABC series that ran from 85 to 92, and not the painfully cheesy and contrived 2016 CBS reboot that has all the silly plot shortcuts that make the original plot shortcuts look masterful. Um, so the original series. Um, so Steve, uh, just one question to start us off. What's a MacGyver? So what a MacGyver is, is basically someone who's very resourceful, who can take any ordinary elements um, of resources around them and make it work. Make something yeah. work, put something together, make something functional. If you can do it with, you know, as little resource as possible, you're a MacGyver. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of like a offline analog hacker, uh, using hack as kind of the term. Uh, to you know, use materials on hand to make something new or to perform a task that needs to be done. Your linkage spring is busted. Got a ballpoint pen? It's one in the glove compartment. But we're gonna have to contain it in something. Test tube? No, much too big, and it's got to be water soluble, something cellulose. Got a cold capsule? Yeah. You now, Spencer, I think you're starting to get the hang of this. Beam it in. Use the lens from the binoculars to modify the curvature of the reflector to give it a little more distance. Yeah, but we still have to get closer. Well, we got a plan. <laughs> Let's go. Now, Jonathan, uh, you had mentioned prior to us starting the show today that you didn't really know that much MacGyver, wasn't really a part of your childhood or growing up, nor do you watch him in syndication. MacGyver right. fans, send your emails <laughs> yeah, to yeah, Jonathan right? Mulligan. I mean, I don't want to piss anybody no, off no, here. It's, it's, it's true. I, honestly, when I was a kid, 
I would see it was coming on. It was like probably eight or nine o'clock at night. I believe it was an ABC show. And uh, the theme song would come on. I'd watch the theme song, be like, oh, that's jazzy. That's cool. And literally the theme song would end and I'd turn the channel to something else. Yeah. The only thing I remember about MacGyver on TV was I think in the 90s or the early 2000s, USA, I think it was USA, uh, would rerun them. And it made me laugh because their their promo tagline was, MacGyver, what's he doing with that thing? And that was it. And that was it. And that's all I remember. So that's it. Uh, and I know later he uh, he MacGyver became uh, Stargate uh, Stargate uh, yeah. uh, on on Sci-Fi. Richard Dean Anderson. That's it. That's all. So I, got. I mean, I'm curious. You, you were a fan of other kind of action adventure TV yes, shows. Was it just yeah? Just this didn't appeal to you. You know what? To be honest with you, and I and I was I was a, 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 a some ways a terribly grumpy child. Mm. Um, I think it, it not that I would understand this as what I understand it now. But I think I looked at it and went like something like, this kind of feels like a Disney show. Mm. And I went, click, and I went somewhere else. So a little too corny and yeah, it just felt, it too just, completely put together and Yeah, it just felt easy. like, yeah, and, and it isn't the, I don't know where it was shot. Um, it, it, so normally when I say like, oh, this seems really clean, I, I would go, I would know later, oh, it was shot in Canada and it was a syndicated thing and whatever. Uh-huh. I don't know if it was or not, but that's what it felt like. This kind of clean, squeaky clean, kind of right. Disney-ish kind of thing. And I don't know. And I was also a dumb kid, so this is probably way too smart of a show oh, for I, me. I so. don't believe Did that. Did you watch the A-Team growing up? Oh, yes. Really? See, yeah. so to me, I went from the A-Team to MacGyver mm. because MacGyver, to me, was the entire A-Team rolled into one And without any person. weapons or, or guns of any kind, right? I mean, the A team didn't really do that much damage with their guns, anyway. Yeah, I didn't really shot around the, people's uh, feet. Yeah, I mean, yeah. MacGyver was blowing stuff up. Yeah, he, see, was, was, he was. But he there was, was just not with traditional, right? You know, arms. I hate guns. Now, maybe you'll maybe you'll enlighten me, but I assume there wasn't like an inherent sadness to MacGyver because that to me, A team is like these guys aren't wrong. Like these guys aren't wrong. They're being framed, man. They're being framed. Uh, like that whole thing. They're on the run, and there's always tension and whatever. Even along with the hijinks. I don't know why you know why MacGyver worked for the for that government. I mean, he works for a government group, a yeah, secretive it, government it, yeah. group. At did they have something on a, him uh, that he was forced to do that? Or did no, they, did no. They pay really what, well, I, and he was happy with the salary. <laughs> it had good benefits. You know. I, I will get into the sadness of the MacGyver backstory oh, okay. in a little bit, but. No, I mean, you're right. He kind of isn't a conflicted character like the A-Team or like the X-Men or anything. Yeah, it just um, seemed, he, he just seemed very like up up, up with people. Like, hey, he is, hey, he come is. On. And that, yeah. that I think for a lot of people uh, is part of the appeal is uh, this guy who's, you know, very human, very understanding. And like I said in the car- cold open, you know, if he, if he doesn't kind of work his way out of a situation with a paperclip, he has some kind of like heartfelt speech that speaks to, you know, a young kid growing up in a right. tough circumstance. So he kind of has, has his very human, uh, very approachable, and very humble personality. But there's, I mean, aside from the well, story the that I'll get into in later. Well, I mean, he well, exudes oh, yeah. confidence. Oh, absolutely. And also, and also, never a I'll, unsure m- moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, say, I'll say this, and I won't, I won't, uh, I won't uh, 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 reveal it. But I, I know who did create this show. Mm-hmm. But pretend I didn't. And if you said to me. This was actually created for a Christian broadcast channel, but mm-hmm. then went to ABC. I would just believe you. I'd go, "Yep, that sounds about right." Yeah, yeah. It just feels like that's what it I felt think like I'd to agree me when that. I was a kid. When I was a kid, and you know, to be completely honest with you, I watched the reruns. Uh, we have them at at work. Are the NBC uh, network Clue? 
uh, airs it uh, quite regularly for those of you who have that network in your area. Uh, but as I watch it now as a 35 uh, year old man, I'm kind of rooting for MacGyver to lose. <laughs> just a little bit i mean i mean i i really dig that he's kind of upbeat like you said all the things yeah. that kind of turned you off as yeah. a youngster um i i kind of like that now as a 35 year old but at the same time kind of rooting for you know that paper clip to not be put uh, together in the right if, way if i can shed it never any, happens any bit of happiness in your in your hopes and dreams <laughs> there is that i i too have watched uh, some macgyver recently it's it's because of the reboot it's almost everywhere now yeah, available yeah. and i've seen some episodes uh, I didn't realize as a kid, what I realize now is that he, while he's great at doing the whole paperclip Barbie doll, you know, bubblegum into a into whatever he needs it to be, he relies on other people a ton of times yeah. to make something work that, oh, someone got held up in traffic yeah. or this guy stumbled or he stepped right in the right spot. And I'm thinking – this guy doesn't have that much agency. He's, he needs yeah. a lot of luck to get any but, of this stuff to even a, work. That's the positive message, though, right? Like, no, I, I think rely it on is. My friends, and, and, I, and I don't want to put together. The... No, no, he's just relying on just nature running oh. its course of just <laughs> okay. like I, I need cloudiness right now to oh, make this I work. I mean, he. I just watched an episode where he had to he had a he had to get around a guard, and the guard receives a phone call. And he's like, oh, that was lucky. Yeah. And then he goes into I'm like, this isn't. So coincidence, you're it's saying. It's a lot too of many, coincidence. Too, too much just, coincidental Yeah, when you uh, st- I've only seen maybe three or four episodes yeah. recently. But in each one, none of his plans would have worked if something hadn't yeah. happened to right. make it work. And it's the script writers coming up with, like, the easy way out, you well, know? Well, he also is a scientist and a, an astute observer of human habits and human nature. So maybe he knows these things before they're going to happen, whereas you or I would not. Ooh, probably so, not. So, Steve, are you saying that uh, if you had a choice of sending in on a mission MacGyver or the team from Force 7, you'd go with Force 7 Ooh. And, and their karate? Ooh, uh, I don't know. I thought you were going to say the A-team. I'd do the A-team <laughs> over MacGyver any day. <laughs> Force 7. Well, I don't know. They've got a lot of karate. They've got the racist puppet. I mean, there's a lot to offer <laughs> <God>. there. <laughs> there's a lot of distraction there, too. That, that could... Oh, I don't know. That's a if eight, if if four seven took on MacGyver, who would win? Well, let's let's not get too far in the road because I feel like we're we're hijacking this. But I'm sure Andrew has some well, real facts. That's to quite go right. With. I mean, if, if we were to hypothesize, I mean, this could be this could be part of the show. Yeah. You know, well, we're so. also marketing a previous episode we, we did, so I mean, oh, I'm going to take seven, the yeah. uh, <laughs> look it up in the cheap episode archive. Okay. There you go. Perhaps we're MacGyvering well, this episode. So we'll let the audience think about that and turn things back over to Andrew. Yeah. So Andrew, t- tell me since I know nothing about really nothing about MacGyver. Other than I've seen MacGruber, and we'll talk about that at the oh end of the boy, episode. Yeah. Uh, what All right, we well, What's you, you got it, Jonathan. You got so, it. So our story starts way back at the end of the 1950s. Well, actually in the early 1980s when the 50s-themed sitcom Happy Days was coming to an end. It was at that time that Henry Winkler, who had risen to unprecedented heights of success and notoriety as TV's Arthur Fronzarelli, decided to broaden his horizons and turn his hand to producing and directing. And so in 1983, he started Fair Dinkum Productions, and before long, he landed a deal with ABC, uh, which guaranteed two pilots. Now, around the same time, a mutual acquaintance who was the talent agent Leonard Hanser suggested that Winkler, a production novice, perhaps team up with the veteran director and producer John Rich, who's famous for Gunsmoke, Dick Van Dyke, All in the Family, Good Times. His list of credits is almost endless. Uh, But anyway, John Rich had also landed a similar uh, two-pilot deal with ABC around the same time. 
So Winkler and Rich teamed up and sold their package to Paramount Studios, which agreed to bankroll the newly christened Winkler Rich Productions to develop two original television series. According to Rich in his 2006 memoir, Warm Up the Snake, Winkler, who had the greater name recognition, would receive a greater upfront payment from Paramount than Rich. But because of Rich's vast experience as a director and a producer, and the assumption that he would be teaching EP and directing to Winkler, Rich's fees would be higher. In any event, the partnership seemed a win for both sides, and the team began to develop its two pilots for Paramount, both of which sold. The first was a sitcom called Mr. Sunshine, which starred Jeffrey Tambor as a blind university professor and wasn't broadcast until 1986, and then only 11 episodes were produced before the series was canceled. The second series that Winkler Rich sold to ABC was an hour-long adventure series, but it wasn't MacGyver. Now, the story that I've pieced together is that the original Winkler Rich adventure series pilot pitched to ABC was called Hourglass, and it was supposed to be something along the lines of a kind of Jack Bauer 24 series, with each episode of the show taking place over the course of a single day. Winkler Rich hired a young TV writer by the name of Lee David Zlotoff to write the pilot. Zlotoff, who had previously written for Hill Street Blues, pointed out some of the restrictions and difficulties with the Hourglass show premise that Winkler Rich had not considered, and so the producers had him write an alternate pilot for an action-adventure show, which, of course, was MacGyver. The next big step was casting the lead, MacGyver himself. One of the major hooks of the show was that the hero wasn't like the ordinary hyper-masculine, shoot-em-up, action-adventure kind of guy, and the distinction worked itself into the casting process. At first, the producers auditioned a string of regular action hero types. Then, in walked Richard Dean Anderson, whose biggest role so far had been on the soap opera General Hospital, uh, which he performed in from 1976 to 1981. Anderson, of course, had all the characteristics of a TV action hero. He was young, athletic, good-looking... But he also had a down-to-earth, everyman quality that really struck the producers. In an interview with Parade Magazine in 1998, Anderson recalled, quote, When I went for the audition, I had long hair, jeans, a leather jacket. I looked like a dandelion. And since I don't have very good eyes, I asked if I could put on my glasses to read for the part. And when they let me do that, I knew I had the role. They knew I was different, end quote. According to John Rich, who told the story in his memoir, it was a simple act of putting on his reading glasses that showed a moment of vulnerability and unpretentiousness that distinguished Anderson above and beyond the other swaggering tough guys who had auditioned for the part. So Zlotoff writes the pilot, and as those of you at home may know, it was a pretty remarkable thing for TV in 1985. In what became a regular feature of the show, the episode started with a cold open an opening gambit, as it would become known, that in some way showcased MacGyver's peculiar skills. In the first opening gambit in the pilot, MacGyver is already on one of his missions for the fictitious Department of External Services. This is a department that he works for before uh, joining the Phoenix Foundation later in the series. But this time, Mac is rescuing a downed American Air Force pilot who is being held by some kind of ambiguous Central Asian communist group on a vertical rock face that MacGyver then has to climb. In an uncharacteristic move after rescuing the downed pilot, MacGyver actually fires an automatic rifle at several of the guards, one of only maybe two or three times in the entire series that he actually fires a weapon. Now, I'm going into detail here on the opening gamut of the pilot episode for precisely this reason. MacGyver's famous abhorrence of firearms was worked into the backstory by means of a traumatic childhood accident. 
But according to Zlotov, the idea of an action hero whose instinct was to avoid violent conflict was a means of differentiating MacGyver from all the James Bonds and Indiana Joneses of the world. On the other hand, in his memoir, John Rich recalls originating the anti-gun MacGyver himself. After noting his own longtime aversion to weapons and handguns, and indeed he mentions that while directing the TV Western Gunsmoke earlier in his career, he made an effort to have the hero resolve conflicts without resorting to weapons, Rich writes that he decided that, quote, after seeing Richard Dean Anderson fire an automatic weapon in the pilot, that his character would forever put aside guns, end quote. Whatever the particular details, MacGyver only used a gun as a weapon, as it was intended, only a handful of times during the entire series. There was one time that he used a revolver as a wrench to stop a nuclear meltdown, go figure, Uh, but that doesn't really count. As you might imagine, the anti-gun stance of the series actually caused some controversy. The season four episode Blood Brothers, which aired November 21, 1988, was intended to explain why MacGyver never carried a gun. To be brief, the episode has MacGyver back in his old hometown of Mission City, Minnesota, and through a series of flashbacks, we discover that 25 years earlier, MacGyver's best friend Jesse had been killed accidentally with a gun that the friends had been shooting some bottles with. In any event, at the end of the show, the producers had planned to post some data about handgun violence in the U.S., but apparently the National Rifle Association got wind of the plan and pressured the network to delete the material from the final cut, which it did. ABC later released a statement that it did not approve of its programs taking an advocacy stance of any kind. The whole thing became a minor flap, and there's actually a clip of the story from Entertainment Tonight uh, that aired at the time. Pat O'Brien has today's inside story on stars and guns. Something like handguns is so simple to take a stand on. I mean, it's just so logical and so obvious that uh, all they do is kill people. To say, well, we're just going to ban guns... You can't do because we have the Second Amendment of the Bill of Rights. But the issue really hit home for Anderson last week on his very first show this season. Using flashbacks, the show explains what happened to MacGyver that made him renounce any use of handguns. The program involves a handgun, a shooting, and a personal tragedy. And the producers wanted to end the program with this graphic. The ABC network said, no, take it out. I saw a memo that came down. Um, explaining why we had to take our um, superimposed logo at the end of the episode and why they wanted uh, this line taken out and that line taken out. And at the bottom of this memo it said, and of course we have the NRA to deal with. It's scary to think that the people with all the power are the people with the guns. The graphic will not be seen on ABC. In the meantime, this ABC memo had a number of suggested script changes for the episode Blood Brothers. They included this one on page 27, which includes the words, to avoid fueling the anti-handgun controversy, please modify MacGyver's speech. In this scene, MacGyver was to use the word handguns. Instead, the word hand was deleted. It never stops there, Danny. You got a gun, things happen. People die. And the network wanted this line deleted from the script entirely. Look at this kid. When are they going to do something about guns? Executive producer Steve Downing fought back. And the scene will be in the program when it airs November 21st. So instead of using a gun to work his way out of effects, Mac was a bricoleur, which, as my co-hosts probably know and some of you at home listening, is a term borrowed from French, meaning to tinker, and more specifically uh, borrowed from theorists like Claude Lévy-Strauss, Jacques Derrida, Deleuze, and Guattari, all of whom generally use the term to refer to cultural production of one kind or another. 
And at the risk of getting too far up into the stratosphere, I think there's something to this, to the idea that in philosophy and in cultural studies during the 1960s through the 1980s, this uh, concept of bricolure and bricolage, of borrowing and reimagining cultural identities across social divisions, is being developed just before or contemporaneously to MacGyver, who uses these DIY techniques to solve a new problem each week. Now, sure, Mac is using materials and his knowledge of engineering and chemistry to prevent a geopolitical crisis or to fight drug dealers, but I sense there is some historical or cultural connection here. Jonathan doesn't really have that much experience or as much experience with MacGyver that Steve or I may have, but I don't know, maybe something in all of that jarred something loose in the uh, in the intellect. Well, and uh, Well, I mean, I, I'd say, you know, TV shows reflect the times, although unless it's a pilot that went unsold five years straight and then finally got produced. But, you know, uh, in the 80s, it was this sort of Reagan new militarism sort of thing. So, you know, um, uh, 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 misinterpreted sometimes. But like so we have um, First Blood with Stallone, which is actually very much a sort of a B-movie action adventure uh, Vietnam vet post-traumatic syndrome movie, which then morphs into uh, First Blood Part Two, mm-hmm. where he's oiled up and he goes and he literally single-handedly rewins the Vietnam War for us. Um, as uh, I don't know if we said it in this episode or not, but you know v- Vietnam. I'm sorry, a team had a uh, this issue from from Vietnam where they were uh, framed, and it sort of comes from a, a negative perspective. But of course, the thrills of the show were jeeps flipping and shooting mm-hmm. around guys' ankles mm-hmm. and Mr. T throwing people through glass and all that stuff. So this sort of machismo that's going on. Uh, uh, and then we'll see this just in a, uh, someone's going to hate me for remember, misremembering the year. Was it 88 was Die Hard? We had the same kind of character a bit uh, on the big screen with McLean because McLean is very good at what he does, yeah. but he doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to be in this thing. He's not Mr. Barrel-Chested. He's not Schwarzenegger. He's not Stallone. Mm. Um, he's getting the job done, but it's almost in a kind of fun, reluctant sort of way. So, yeah, I think there was definitely an audience for as many... Um, Chuck Norris's and Stallone and Delta Force this and whatever um, you had and even I'd almost stretch it to like Von Damme was like a somewhat more human personable like karate guy and Seagal eventually Seagal was like the guy who used a keto to kick everyone's asses so yeah I think there was a reaction here I think MacGyver was like yeah we can be cool and interesting and smart and wear glasses and whatever but i'm also going to get the job done so yeah, yeah i think that's yeah. i think that's where it's happening well the link i can't quite figure out is where it links to previously in, in history like maybe it's sort of like a spy show kind of i guess or a secret agent thing yeah i'm not quite sure where that connects but but yeah, yeah i mean i think gi joe and all that stuff yeah i mean i think it kind of was marketed that way and it's part of the the macgyver story is that he works for this department of external services and then at some point i think in maybe at the end of season one or maybe in season two he goes and works for the nonprofit phoenix foundation which actually takes a lot of its so-called missions from the federal government so whatever the government is ill-equipped to solve macgyver can you know come in and presumably save the day and we also don't have an active war going on at the time either so it's harder to do the like like in the 60s would be like we're actively working against the russians we can't say you are but you'll be working for a shadowy organization and every week you'll be but it was more like well there's no real wars going on so but i mean there there is the cold war and the cold war definitely works its way into uh maybe even a majority of episodes in one way or another 
another. Either he's, you know, saving somebody's grandfather from behind the Iron Curtain or he has right. to deliver a letter or something. But, you know, the, the, the Soviets are there as the kind of, you know, uh, the, the, the enemy, so I to speak. I forgot about or, or, hot war. Not, yeah, yeah so there's no, yeah, no, I, I know what you meant. I just wanted to, uh, I just wanted to bring them. But also yeah. uh, China as well. There's, um, mm. uh, you know, Red China is also, the, the furnishes plenty, <laughs> plenty of the enemies. Uh, and, you know, he, Tiananmen Square actually comes up uh, in, in 1989 quite mm. a few times. He's trying to, you know, save Chinese uh, dissident students from, you know, getting absorbed by the uh, state police and, and murdered mm. and, and that sort of thing. Uh, and then South America as well. So any of the, the, you know, quote unquote flashpoints for the Cold War come up as a uh, environment or as a venue for MacGyver to go in and have a mission and save somebody. Um, and I actually do want to bring up, incidentally, that MacGyver, the character, does have a Vietnam backstory, but I've watched a lot of episodes of MacGyver, and I, I hope people in the audience listening, MacGyver has an immense fan following. I hope nobody gets upset with me. But from my recollection, there aren't too many episodes that actually dwell on his Vietnam backstory. Mm-hmm. It's kind of ambiguous. It's kind of in the background. But, you know, it's not like Magnum P.I., where he has his two buddies, you know, from the unit back in the war that are constantly turning up, and, you know, other people from his past life right. turning up. It's MacGyver. I, I kind of get a sense that he was, you know, he he disarmed bombs like he was on a bomb squad or something. Um, but that's about it. And as I said, it doesn't really come up that much. But yeah, so I mean, we're at this time where we have a hero, maybe in his, you know, mid to late 30s, who is in the war, who is now undertaking these missions in a kind of novel way that you don't really see on TV all that often. Uh, and he's engaging with, uh, you know, contemporary politics, geopolitics in some way. Yeah, I was going to say, when you look at some of the landscape of uh, the 1980s, um, there's a lot of like what Jonathan was alluding to, and that is um, crime fighters having the most and the best of everything. So you think of Miami Vice and Don Johnson's driving Ferraris around Miami, right? And he's a cop. Like, is this like taxpayer money going to this stuff, or you know, like a convincing drug dealer every week? You know? <laughs> Night Knight Rider has <laughs> yeah. this talking car, right? This amazing technology. Magnum PI is um, not for the government, but he's living in this mansion yeah. in a very you know well-to-do area. So you look at this MacGyver. He's working for government essentially, and he's resourceful. He's extremely mm-hmm. smart and intelligent. Um, it's sort of a different character than even in, within the context of these storylines mm-hmm. that we weren't really used to seeing. So, yeah. so he lives w- on a houseboat. He's very understated. You know, he's not in Robin Masters' estate, as he said. He's right. So it's a little bit of Rockford. I think Jim Rockford, who lived in a trailer, oh, right, yeah, but kind yeah. of resourceful, but so much more, almost like a scientist, understanding. That, mm-hmm. All of this kind of um, what we would call STEM today, right? The mm-hmm. science, technology, engineering, sure. math. I mean, he is your STEM guy all rolled yeah. into one. And it's, um, I think well, viewers tuned in almost not so much for Richard Dean Anderson and Big Draw, but what was he going to do each week, right? This idea mm-hmm. of how do these writers figure this out? And I think you brought up, uh, we were talking off air about Mythbusters. Right. How much of what MacGyver did on the show is scientific fact or has it been well, proven? They, 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 well, the classic one thing I I wanted to, you're already saying this, Steve, but like I was going to ask, is this guy basically Mister Science as a as a or Mister Wizard as a as an action hero? You know, that's what it oh, seems yeah. like like to me. But yeah, they did. I remember one I remember is he mixes some sort of solution in like a glass jar or whatever and puts it up against cinder block wall, and then of course that blows a hole in the wall and they mm-hmm. escape the prison. I guess that was the episode. Yeah. And they did it, and yes, it creates an explosion, but nowhere near as powerful enough to actually blow a hole in the wall to, to yeah. get them out. Yeah. So, uh, at least in partial research, I think some of it is 
eh, it's not really going to work. Or they, they also did the glider one. He made like an entire glider, glider out of, I think it's like bamboo and like duct tape or something. And uh, you wouldn't have, yeah, yeah. and it was Well, him, you can make anything out of duct tape. Right, but. true, true. <laughs> But yeah, I think they showed some of it maybe on the best day, your best day, but like it wouldn't yeah. have enough strength. Well, according to, to uh, yeah, according to John Rich's uh, memoir, and I think this is repeated in other sources I looked at. Um, they actually, I, I think they is they this tried the book? I'm to sorry, warm up the warm snake. up the snake, a, a Hollywood memoir. Yeah. I think I think its full title is. Um, but he was saying that they they tried some of them out. I think you know to the best of their ability. Um, they also solicited ideas from fans, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. A lot of people wrote in with uh, certain problems MacGyver could get into and how he could you know use the materials at hand to get himself out. Um, but yeah, I mean some things you probably couldn't replicate that easily. I mean in the pilot, I'm just thinking he uh, he stopped some kind of reactor leak with a bar of chocolate. Um, because whatever chemical was actually leaking out of this container, uh, when mixed with chocolate, made some kind of you know epoxy or an adhesive of some kind. Like, I don't know that you would ever actually be able to. Well, maybe you could. You can get a small amount of one solution and a small amount of chocolate and see if it yeah. works. But uh, from from what I've read and from what I've gathered, they they tried to work some of these things out and and they worked. They were they were really keen on doing that. But other things, I, I don't know, Jonathan. So, do you remember the MythBusters at all? Did I, some of them? Would get, other than the glider and the and the explosion. I, I don't yeah. remember the others, but but this leads me to, to sort of ask, like, was this sort of a general broad ABC audience, if you know, or is this, it almost sounds to me like, is this sort of the PBS crowd? Is this their action hero or something? Like, I don't I don't quite, you know, I, I, I'm trying to get a, a handle on it because the other thing I was thinking about, we were talking about casting, you know, they had mm-hmm. to find Richard Dean Anderson. He has this wonderful moment now, whether he did it purposely or not, the idea of like, yeah. I'm going to be a hero, but I'll put my glasses on. Oh, you're so vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. But in my mind, I was thinking like, I wonder if uh, I wonder if Scott Bakula was up for this. I wonder if he auditioned because to me, I could see. I mean, not was knowing Quantum Mac- Leap already on the air at that point. It, probably either. It, I think it came on in '86 or '87, maybe, or maybe it was '80. Uh. Maybe it was either '89 to '93 or like '88 to '92 or something. But I'm thinking yeah. myself, same kind of thing, right? Very good-looking guy that all the all the women and I'm sure some of the men love, uh, but vulnerable, confident, yeah. you know the whole bit. Now maybe he's not a Richard Dean Anderson, but I could sort of see him maybe being an alternative universe MacGyver. You yeah, know, if this is yeah. sort of like a Doctor Who thing. Quantum Leap was three years after MacGyver, so Bakula okay. is available in '86. He was very, he was very well. I we, just want to. Can we go back he, and get him? <laughs> I wonder if he auditioned. I, I will. Um, do you know who wrote the theme song for MacGyver? It wasn't Mike Post, was it? Uh, I don't think it was, but because Post be did Quantum Leap's theme, well, probably the, the yeah. worst of Post's work is the Quantum Leap theme, and I'm just wondering. No, if no, 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 no. No, you already know the worst of his themes from your how it became your favorite episode. I don't know, but uh, all the uh, Riptide and Hardcastle McCormick and all that—that's all Post. That's yeah, I, I actually I kind of like this. Okay, well it, we're going to cut it, this part out. It's so growing to, save, to save <laughs> Jonathan Steve introduced me to Hardcastle McCormick and nine year old Jonathan it grew on me. And now he wants to make fun of you. So, so my point is, is that that vulnerability, that high mindedness, using your smarts to get out of things, not just brute strength, not just yeah. guns. I'm just wondering if it was like. Not that not that PBS would ever run necessarily an action adventure show that wasn't just like a detective show like Poirot or something, but it almost feels like it yeah, could yeah. maybe or parts of it or something. It, yeah, I mean if it if it pivoted a little bit more towards the science of getting out of a situation and maybe less towards the the violence of an action adventure. Yeah, I mean I could totally see that. It's more of a puzzle show. Okay. Than, yeah, but I don't I don't. That's a good question about the audience. I'm not really sure. I mean we can draw conclusions perhaps from the fact that Richard Dean Anderson was a uh, soap 
Soap Star for a while. Um, the only thing I really know about the the audience is that Patty and Selma uh, Bouvier from The <laughs> Simpsons loved MacGyver. So so here's let me play let me play network executive, okay? And you guys are basically pitching me MacGyver. My thought is, you say to me, this guy doesn't use guns. So my th- my question is, is like, isn't this show going to get boring? And that's my follow-up. It did it. Like, was it ever? Re- what, what did it ever get repetitive? Was it ever too slow? Like, I because I would think, oh, I need a, I need gunplay here. I need firing. I need grenades. I need jeeps flipping all over the place. But it sounds like this guy pulls out a paper clip or a wad of chewing gum every episode, yeah, or yeah. and or does his hair is apparently beautiful mane of hair. So like. Was this show ever? Do, what, what was it? What yeah, was it when I you mean, guys were kids? Where you were like, "I love this thing." Like, I think what you, is it that you could always going? make the argument that the jeeps flipping over and the explosions get repetitive, right? But mm. I mean, I discount that. <laughs> uh, I know what the American public wants. I strongly disagree. With that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, he he get he has another way of getting out of a, a another sticky situation each week. So I mean, I, I think the so I think was Steve was saying like the thrill and the anticipation of knowing that he's going to be getting to some kind of adventure and it's, it's high adventure what he gets into. I mean, there's no short of, his, of, of explosions and, and stunts and that sort of thing. Um, so it's not really nonviolent in that sense, but the anticipation and the thrill of waiting for him get into a situation where he has to MacGyver himself out of, and it didn't always happen. I think there are some episodes where, you know, he, he just like talked himself out of situations like the, the one that uh, I was talking about with the, uh, at the in the cold open where he helps out the rising college hockey star. I don't think he MacGyver's himself out of, himself out of any situation in that one. Um, so anyway, it's kind of a, when he does, it's the anticipation and thrill of watching him get himself out of another fix. So was there a, well, my I guess my last question as as, uh, as sort of a, a network head. Was there martial arts? Was there fisticuffs? Like, was he? Was it? You got to see him kick ass. He wouldn't use a gun, but like he. Yeah, he'd still he'd still kick some ass. I I thought he would run away more from his problems. (laughs) I mean that in the nicest (laughs) sense. Wasn't he? He never won conflict, so he would hide, and he would try to rig something up and then hide. Hmm. And if it didn't work, he'd then run. Wow. Yeah. Well, no, I, I think I think is I think my memory you're, correct on yeah, that? Yeah, you're that probably a little bit more right than I am, which is that I'd say that I'd qualify his ass kicking with saying that he would kick ass only to the extent to which it would allow him. He had to to escape, yeah. which is why I brought the the whole Rockford character because Rockford's kind of the same way. He doesn't want the conflict, and is more or less ready to just drop a case at any yeah. time. And and so I kind of he, he's a bit of a like the everyman. And I think that was the endearment of James Garner in Rockford, which I see in Richard Dean Anderson, uh, is that because, like, you or me, I'm hightailing it out there, probably. I'm not going to try to take on these three guys by myself, you know, or something of that nature. He's more about neutralizing threats than he is about utterly destroying them. Right. Um, It's more about... You know, creating some kind of trap to take a, a, an aggressor out of a situation by, I don't know, catching him up in a laundry bag so the, the guy can't do anything or, uh, you know, using some kind of subduing uh, them, su- subduing them, using some kind of hitch to uh, hitch up the uh, the van so that he can get out of it while the guy's right. shooting at him sort of thing. So it's about neutralization and about escape. Yeah. Yes. So so is it a positive or a negative? Um as far as why this show is so remembered and took on such a cultish sort of uh, uh, reverence uh, over the ensuing so many years. Was this because it was awesome or was it because it was like so silly? Like where did this, because I remember, like I said, I think in the mid 90s or maybe the, 
the early 2000s, USA was already sort of hitting him hip to it. Like, what's he doing? You know, what's he yeah, doing with yeah. that? And then, of course, we have um, uh, uh, Will Forte. Yep. And uh, yep. and and those guys from SNL writing MacGruber sketches and then a whole movie. You know, what was it out of love for the show? Was it like this or was it more of a oh, I cannot believe we made this show? Like what what is do you can you speak to that at all? Well, I mean, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier when when you were casting yourself in the role of the uh, of the TV executive. I think it's a lot of it you know, is about seeing what MacGyver is going to do because he's going to find new materials and new ways to get himself out of a fix. But that in itself was highly dramatic. I mean, Mm. sometimes a segment of the show would end on a cliffhanger where we don't really know if this is going to work out, MacGyver. You might get crushed by that, you know, 30-ton truck or whatever (laughs) it is if this doesn't work. Um, So I think that that's part of what it is, is that, you know, the, the, the kind of drama and interest in seeing it each week uh, to see how he's going to get out of it or, you know, in my case, saying, oh, maybe he's not going to get out of it. It's going to yeah, be great. Yeah, he's yeah. finally going to get what he deserves, that, that guy. And, and I, I would think it's also the public, viewing public, um, their adoption of the lexicon of the show, mm-hmm. MacGyver. Yeah. It became, yeah. like I said in the beginning, a verb, a noun. It's you're a MacGyver. you got to MacGyver this together. What can you do to fix it? And I think it, it, maybe this goes to Reagan's, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Be resourceful. Yeah. Put yeah. something together. That's what can point. you do on yeah. your own? You don't need anybody else. And it, maybe, you know, MacGyver becomes sort of the um, the emblem of that. Yeah. I'm not sure. And what, Yeah, I mean, it's it's so different, which I think is what, what you're getting at and what we've been saying the whole time. No, yeah. Nobody else is, is doing this in an action-adventure series. Uh, which yeah, makes you, it, you don't say, "Hey, let's T.J. Hooker that." No, that, that, <laughs> well, maybe that Jonathan would be does, discriminating but... <laughs> against most citizens' rights. That's what that would mean. And running slow, <laughs> and running very slow. Um, so, what's interesting uh, to me about this is, um, uh, was there ever any scene though, or sequence that you remember where you sort of thought to yourself, "Why didn't Why didn't this guy just pick up a gun? This would be much easier to do that." And the reason I ask this is a very specific connection here, but exactly the same time period. Um, uh, very popular in the Marvel movies these year these days. Uh, Cap, the character of Captain America, right? For World War II hero, mm-hmm. revived during the 1960s publications, and then Man Out of Time stories, right? Well, in the 80s, uh, these days it actually gets more flack than it did, did necessarily at the time. But the writer at the time, as a reaction to the jingoistic, you know, uh, oiled up Rambo stuff. He actually had had the character sort of not want to use guns. Now, in a post 9-11 world, readers would look back at these old 80s issues and be like, you're saying a guy from World War II who was a sold mm-hmm. super soldier doesn't like using guns. That's ridiculous, blah, blah, blah. But my point being is, is that um, two points is one, it's the sort of uh, what we believe in America, right? We are reluctant fighters, defense first, mm-hmm. and Captain America has a shield, MacGyver has a paperclip, right? Both neither use guns. But then the second point, part of it is, like I said, that as I mentioned before, um, was there ever a point where you're just like, and I'd say with even Cap, like, oh, just pick up the machine gun, take this guy out, move on. Like, did it ever feel sort of sort of ridiculous that he had to do a Rube like Goldberg, no. Goldberg machine uh, instead of picking up an Uzi? I mean, I, I don't think so. There was one time, I figured it was a two-parter episode or maybe it was just one part where he was uh, battling one of his many arch nemeses. Um, he, he had two. This one was a, a doctor and he MacGyver was working with the police and... Uh, 
the doctor, uh, he's like this crazy psychologist who, you know, kind of went off the rails and is, you know, laying all these puzzles and traps for MacGyver, which MacGyver has to figure out. And MacGyver's working with the cops at the time, and you kind of figure that, oh, why don't she just, you know, why doesn't somebody just surround this guy and, and, and shoot him? <laughs> um, but no, I mean, it, 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 you never really do, at least I don't, never really dwell on those ideas for that long. Uh, I, I think the, when it happens most often in MacGyver is when somebody else, one of the supporting characters of the episode, has a gun trained on the bad guy, and MacGyver has to talk them out of it, mm. you know? Um, but even then, it's kind of like, you know, you're, you're kind of rooting for MacGyver to, to talk them out of it. You don't want to see this person right. descend to the level of whoever their antagonist is. Um, so, I don't know, for me, I never really feel like it's, it's that forced. Um, there, there's another moment in the, in the episode where he actually uses a revolver as a wrench to stop a nuclear meltdown, which I mentioned a little bit earlier. I believe in that episode they had a gun trained on the bad guy, and you're just thinking, just just shoot the guy. Like, yeah. he's engineered a, a nuclear meltdown. But well, that, right, the scale of the threat, you would think some, I would wonder, would you go like, just, I know you don't like yeah, guns, but yeah. just shoot this guy because otherwise everybody's yeah. gone. Um, I well, I mean, yeah, well, I mean, they, they work it out in such a way where the person doesn't have to be killed okay. and the uh, on moral balance, as an audience, as I said before, you're kind of rooting for MacGyver or the person he's with to do the right thing. Uh, the whole thrust of the narrative kind of compels you to have that conclusion. Right. And, and the reason I also bring this up, and I don't want to get too far into this, though, I think it's somewhat important, um, I guess my own personal issue, uh, curiosity, but like in the MacGruber movie, which is a complete parody of that type of character, is they basically have moments at the end where he, like, he finally uses a gun and it's almost like a baby learning how to use, mm-hmm. you know, finally uses a skill. Now, of course, he totally screws it up and ends up like shooting nobody with it, you know, he's, he's mm-hmm. such a bad shot. Mm-hmm. But it's that sort of, I think that's where that joke lies, the foundation of which is like, just pick up a gun yeah, and do the yeah. thing and be, a, you know, yeah, and end yeah. it. So, uh, MacGruber, uh, do you feel offended as a fan? Is it ridiculous? <laughs> Is it just right 30 years hence? I mean... You know, I don't think I've ever seen the actual movie. Okay. I may have seen the sketches. Yeah, the sketches were pretty much, you know, he gives a laundry yeah. list. Hand me this, hand me that, yeah. do this. And 30 seconds left, MacGruber, you know, hand me this. And then, of course, he asks for something ridiculous or they run out of time and the whole thing blows up and he never, you know, he never finishes it. Are you giving credence to this film by talking about it? Yeah. So so here, so Steve, Steve's giving me this eyeball of disgust and I'll tell you, explain it real quick. He, only because you you basically asked me the same question when we did the Paul Lynn special together. Oh, we no. did. Okay. I talked about the hero's journey and you said, yes. are you really? Oh, 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 bringing right. the so, hero's journey into yes, the yes, Paul yes, Lynn. Yes. So what I'm the MacGruber film is a terrible film. No, it is. It is. Right? It, I, it is. So, I, so I'll say I've seen it like one, that life I've film. seen it once or once or twice. Um, once or twice. Once or twice. Well, like <laughs> once and a half because it's been on TV. <laughs> but it, it, the problem is, and, and it will it's will Forte going. I'm gonna I'm gonna be fearless and I'm gonna go every which way and I'm not gonna regret anything. Problem is, is he goes way too far in some of the sort of personal potty humor and sexual humor mm. and all that, that you can't follow the, along with the character. You can't like the character. You can't respect the character. But if you take that out, which is about 30, 40 percent of the movie, the other 60, there's actually some laughs in there. But whether it's just nostalgia or this weird sort of uh, over the years game of telephone culturally 
there's something that we remember. It had some value back then. We always remembered it. And again, that's why I asked whether it's for positive or negative reasons. And it gets so filtered out that we go, let's commit two hours and tons of money mm-hmm. to doing this, to remembering this, to to making fun of it or, or validating it or whatever, interpreting it. So I just, I find that on that scale fascinating. Um, I don't know. I, so if you haven't seen it, you haven't seen it. But I, I just think it's interesting that it, it's retained in the in the memory um, now, of course, it almost killed his career, Will Forte's career, because it was so poorly received. Mm. But um, it sticks It sticks with you. Now we have, I don't want to date this podcast, we have a, a, the remake, the, the mm-hmm. as you obviously said, was not very good. I, I, I didn't care for it, no. Yeah. Does it still hold up these days? Magai, I see, I so I, I think what you're saying, and I might be totally misunderstood, are you saying there's some sort of anti-violence message that resonates today? Is that what we're saying? Or why do we, or or a sort of intelligence with a with an action character? I mean, what, why, why should, you know what I mean? Like, what is it? I mean, I couldn't really speak to why CBS wants to reboot this thing right now, other than to say that, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the current moment of nostalgia for stuff from the uh, 1980s and 1990s. And MacGyver is one thing that hasn't been done, but uh, I, I don't know. I kind of personally, I enjoy the nonviolent theme and the kind of DIY ethos of MacGyver. And I can imagine that other people do, too, for all the reasons that we've been saying, namely that it's something that an action hero does that that MacGyver does that you don't necessarily see elsewhere um, in terms of, you know, getting himself out of a situation in, in, in various paperclip and Swiss Army knife ways. Um I enjoy it. And and is there, am I making two, we talked about Magnum, and I think that's a, a, a correct analogy because they're both sort of the sensitive hero. Mm-hmm. But it also, now that I'm thinking about it, it seemed, was it based m- more on Indiana Jones? Because, I mean, Indiana Jones was smart. He he would use a revolver, but it was all about that whip, mm-hmm. which is not, you know, I don't know. And he had to figure out, the, you know, oh, the weight of this. And if right, I remove right. it with the idol, then it'll think it's the same weight. And yeah. I'll get it, you know. It seems like maybe that was like almost like a modern day Indiana Jones or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah, he, he works himself out of various traps that the villains lay for him. Um, uh, Indiana Jones doesn't use his gun all that often, you know. But um, yeah, but he's not he's not building things like MacGyver is. No, you know, no, no. so it's, that that's definitely what some, sets him apart. I mean, it's it's kind of like James Bond and Q kind of makes all those mm-hmm. machines and devices and gadgets for him, but. James Bond is dealing out death most of the time, and he's not doing them himself. He oh, has I, thought the, you were saying, I thought you were going to say it's basically they put James Bond and Q together. And, oh, yeah. And, I mean, and, and yeah, you could, you could probably say it that way. Um, yeah, I mean, I was just going to say that it's it's the English government uh, and the agency, MI6, making the things for James Bond. He just has to kind of show up and look pretty and mm-hmm. know how to throw the dice and play the cards and, <laughs> and win the lady. Um, and shoot a bullseye every time, uh, whereas MacGyver's actually, you know, he really has to use his ingenuity and his knowledge of the natural world and chemistry to uh, to figure things he out. He doesn't have the most agency about the jobs. It's not like uh, Magnum or Rockford or um, anybody who's choosing their mission, A-team choosing their mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's given it because he works. He's a working guy, yeah. right? And um, they said, yeah. you go do this, you go do this. So he's almost sort of this imbu- abused employee where <laughs> only you can do this, so it's you again. Yeah, I yeah, could see him with yeah. his other colleagues like, oh, just keep giving it to MacGyver. We're not doing yeah. it. 
um, because he's so good at what he does. He's used yeah. all the time in the most dangerous missions. I don't think he would see himself as an uh, abused employee. I think he would see wow. himself as somebody who, who does what needs to be done and knows full well that he has a certain set of skills that nobody else has uh, that would be very useful in a given situation. Uh, I also kind of get the sense that MacGyver is able to turn down uh, missions if he wants to. It seems like Pete, his boss at the Phoenix Foundation, is coming up to him sometimes and saying, oh, I have this great you know, mission for you sort of thing, or, uh, oh, you know, I wonder if he could do us a, a There a may favor. be episodes where he doesn't want to do it and Pete talks him into it. Yeah, there could be. I think. I, I, that, think, that I, think, I think that I think happens right. as well. So that's all the time we have for today's episode on MacGyver. I thank Steve and Jonathan for indulging me here on one of my childhood and actually current day favorite things to watch on television. Uh, And hopefully, audience out there, uh, if you are MacGyver fans, because I know there are a ton of MacGyver fans out there, I hope we didn't anger too many of you uh, with our momentary lapses of factual errors that we may have committed when discussing MacGyver episodes. But anyway, thank you very much, as always, for joining us for this episode of Inside the Box. We'll be back in two weeks, the three of us, for another episode. Um, Until then, you can find us uh, at our website, tvhistorypod.com. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter uh, in two different areas. Steve's own personal handle is StandardDef1. The handle for the show is uh, at tvhistorypod. Uh, Jonathan and I also have our own personal handles you can check out. Uh, I think that's all of the various ways you can get in touch with us. Maybe there are more. Um, But anyway, uh, for myself, Andrew Salvati, for Steve Voorhees and Jonathan Bollinger, thanks very much again for joining us for this episode of Inside the Box. See you next time. Hi, Mr. Thornton. Sam. What, are you guys all packed for your trip? Just finished. Oh, uh, MacGyver, the Phoenix board asked me to give you this. Pete, it's an offer of a new contract, and it's very generous. I think you ought to look at it. We've been through this before, Pete. Sam and I got a little catching up to do. Well, I I told him I didn't think he'd go for it. You know, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like without you around here. Well, it was bound to happen. Things change. Not always. Good things don't. Don't you ever change, MacGyver. Don't you either, Pete. Well, uh, can I expect you to drop in once in a while anyway? Count on it, my friend. Sam, take care of your old man, will you? You can count on it. So, uh, where to? Somewhere else. This is Richard Dean Anderson. On behalf of all of us at MacGyver, I'd like to thank you, our audience, for seven great seasons.